just a quick disclaimer, we're still in Greek mythology, so there is still violence and mentions of sexual assault. Please check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're continuing the origin stories of the Olympians, and we'll see how, if your baby is gutting livestock to invent musical instruments, that's, I guess, a good thing? And that if your idea of leadership is, do what I say or I'm going to thunderbolt you, you might not be that great of a leader. The creature this time is a tiny fox, who will give you all of your friends' secrets, as well as drive you into bankruptcy. This is Myths and Legends, episode 131b, All in the Family. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, young Zeus married a titan in secret, and they were happy. That is, until a prophecy made him start fearing for his life. So much so that he turned Matisse, his wife, into a fly and ate the woman and his unborn child. Then, years later, after Zeus had moved on and married Hera, he developed a strange headache. One emergency surgery later, on the part of an over-eager titan, and the goddess Athena sprung from Zeus's head, fully armored, and ready to take on the world. Around the same time, a beautiful stranger also appeared. Aphrodite, as she called herself, made a striking debut on Olympus. At the end of last week's episode, Hera, now angry at Zeus, Athena, and Aphrodite, had decided to take things into her own hands. Yes, she had decided to have a baby. Who's the father? Zeus demanded. Hera only smirked. In moments, the baby would be here, and she would laugh in her unfaithful husband's face. Hera replied that the father was Zeus. Both paused and laughed. No, no it wasn't. It had been years since Zeus snapped back to it. He demanded again to know who the father was. He'd make it quick. A thunderbolt for the guy and baby. If it was a boy. Done and done. Hera grinned faintly and turned away. It was cute that Zeus still got jealous. Zeus grimaced. Jealous? Ew, no. He was the king of the gods, and Hera was the queen. Any child was his child. That's just how it worked. He didn't care what she did, but this, he said, pointing to her stomach, couldn't happen. Any child was their child. Hera glared as it came time to push. Through the pain, she maintained her composure. The baby, she declared, is mine. The child didn't have a father. He had been born solely from her, and would be hers alone. If Zeus could have a daughter without her, then she could have a son without him. Hera threw back her head and laughed. Her revenge was complete. But when she looked back in victory, Zeus was gone. The main threat of Hera having a baby apart from him was only a threat of there was another man. Sure, she could have a baby, Whatever. He had stowed his thunderbolt like a golf club and left the room while she was still milking that maniacal laugh. Hera didn't have long to wallow in confusion before the baby was born. Her son, her little Hephaestus, was now basically worthless. The baby was born and Hera picked him up. He dangled there and he was weak and just a little gross looking. Hera rolled her eyes. Well... Now this whole ordeal had been worthless. Not only was Zeus not crushed, 
but now she had a baby to look after. Ugh, no thanks. Hera tossed the newborn child over her shoulder and off Mount Olympus. As soon as he was out of view, Hera forgot about him, grimaced, and wondered where Zeus had gotten off to while she was giving birth. Okay, so, you know Aphrodite, right? Zeus said to Ares, the god of war. The man nodded. Yeah, everyone did. Zeus asked if Ares knew of her girdle, the one that made people fall in love, and gave her power over basically every guy ever. Again, Ares nodded before taking a long swig of wine. Zeus smiled wider. Well, to get back at her for having such a powerful tool, he was going to play a little prank. He'd made her fall in love with, get this, a human. Zeus bit his lip to hold back his own laughter. Ares looked from side to side. So? Zeus regularly met up with humans, right? How was that revenge for possessing something she obviously needed to successfully navigate the heavily gender-biased ancient Greek world? Zeus sighed. Cool. So Ares didn't just kill humans, but apparently buzzes as well. He paused. Get it? Killing buzzes? Ares was a buzzkill? Ares nodded. He got it. Zeus gestured down Earth. So did Ares want to watch Aphrodite with the human or not? Ares took another long swig of wine. Yes. Yes, he did. The next morning, Aphrodite sat up. What was she doing on Earth? That's when she noticed the man sleeping next to her, on top of a pile of furs and animal skins. A human. She felt something, too. Another essence. A life. She was pregnant? She looked up to the heavens with pursed lips. Very nice, Zeus. A man, a king by the name of Anchises, stirred, and his jaw dropped. She... She wasn't who you remembered from the night before. She was... Aphrodite, the woman said as she rose and wrapped her girdle around her waist. One, you're welcome, and two, uh, you can't tell anyone about this. The man was already on his knees, begging to be spared. Please, he'd do anything. Aphrodite paused, then told him to relax. It really wasn't any big thing. He just needed to not tell anyone about this ever. Deal? Their kid would be famous. It was just really important. So important that she was going to circle back to it. Don't tell anyone. Still slack-jawed, and Jesus nodded. Aphrodite sighed. He was going to talk. Not four days later, from the shadows, Aphrodite face-palmed as she watched Anchises take yet another full goblet of wine. The wine was strong, and the conversation was only getting bawdier. He was going to talk. No doubt about it. Then, right on schedule, the question came up. Would Anchises rather sleep with the daughter of such-and-such such king, or Aphrodite herself? It was a close call. After a long pause for a drink, but not a lot of thought, and Jesus laughed and said he couldn't answer the question. He had already been with both of them. He was disqualified. Back on Olympus, Zeus guffawed. That was against the rules. He punched in the coordinates on a thunderbolt and let that thing fly. Aphrodite saw the lightning flashing in the clouds, far off in the night sky. It was exactly what she thought was going to happen. 
She shot from her hiding place and placed herself between Anchises and the Thunderbolt. Up in Olympus, Zeus swore, and the Thunderbolt veered to the left, crashing down at Anchises' feet instead of hitting him head on. Electricity, though, shot up from the ground and connected. It wasn't enough to kill him, but as Aphrodite turned around, she looked on the crumpled and smoking form of Anchises. He was alive, but he would never be the same again. She left him in the care of his companions, who really didn't rush to his aid, and couldn't stop staring at Aphrodite until the woman was out of sight. Five years later, and Jesus limped to the door. He had never been the same after that one night. The bolt had hit his feet, and he was only lucky he was a king, and the cousin of the king of Troy, Priam, or else he would have been forced to beg for his food. There was another knock, and Anchises growled that he was on his way. He wasn't as fast as he used to be, didn't they know? Annoyed, he threw open the door and saw her. He would never forget her. And, with a sad smile, and already too far away for Anchises to catch, she turned and put up her hood. That was when Anchises saw him. It was a boy, a boy of about five or six years, staring up at him. He introduced himself to the man standing dumbfounded in the doorway. He said he had been raised by his mother and her nymph friends until he was ready to come and live with his father and be brought up in the greatest city in the world, Troy. His name was Aeneas. Now, real quickly, if you don't know who Aeneas is, he's an incredibly famous Roman hero who has an epic of his own, called the Aeneid, where he escapes Troy as it burns, and, eventually, founds the city of Rome. We're absolutely gonna cover it at some point in the future, so don't worry. Oh my us, what a lovely jewel, Hera exclaimed to Themis, one of the Titans. Themis was one of Zeus's earlier wives, but she also happened to be the mother of Prometheus who Zeus watched screaming in agony every morning as an eagle tore into his side, so Hera could be reasonably sure that they weren't going to reconcile and get back together. Themis was never happy to see her ex's most recent wife, but today she seemed even more nervous. She chuckled. Nowhere, she, she found it. Hera picked up the necklace, and a smile curled around her face. Themis was hiding something, and Hera was the queen of the gods. The titan was rightfully nervous. Hera could have some fun with this, the queen pleaded with the titan. Where did the woman find it then? It was the best craftsmanship she had ever seen. Someone like this should be on Olympus, not toiling down in the caves with the titans. Themis shook her head. She couldn't say. You can't or won't say, Hera demanded, tightening her grip around the jewel. Themis took a deep breath. Hera didn't want to pull that string. Just let him live in peace. He doesn't know who he really is. Hera's brow wrinkled. She threw up her hands. What was Themis even talking about? The Titan took the hand of the Queen of the Gods and led her toward the earth. Nine years. Nine years ago, he had landed there. Themis had screamed and dove, fishing him out of the water before he drowned. Then, as she looked the boy over, she began wondering if he could drown. He wasn't what you would call classically handsome or handsome, but a titan could tell a god when she saw one. And this boy was special. She brought the boy home to your enemy. 
And, after asking around, they learned that Hera, the queen of the gods, had been pregnant and was now suspiciously not pregnant. The women knew what they had to do. They kept the child, while not wanting to take him back to the mother who had thrown him off a mountain. At five, they built him his first smithy, and at seven, he was the most skilled craftsman in the world. He kept himself busy by designing more and more elaborate jewelry for his mothers. They must wondered how long they could keep him there in their grotto, safe from the machinations of those horrible people that sat on high. And that question was answered when Hera found the necklace. Themis took her down to the grotto, and, with one look, she recognized the face she had only seen for a few minutes before throwing him away forever. Hera looked on the boy and flew to him. In tears, she hugged young Hephaestus, saying that she had been searching for him for so long, but he was safe at last. He could come home. He could come take his place on Olympus. We'll see what kind of welcome Hephaestus gets when he gets to Olympus, but that will be right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. If you have a dream, say you want to start a new business or showcase your work, publish stuff, sell stuff, or whatever, you need a website. And since you need a website, you should go with Squarespace. Everything is so easy from start to finish. The templates are beautiful. They're by world-class designers, and it shows. And you can customize just about anything because you're not making just any website. You're making your website. Seriously, whenever we want to make a website and have it look professional with no fuss whatsoever, we use Squarespace. Domains are simple, and if you're not technically inclined, that's okay. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. You can sell products easily online with their e-commerce functionality, and everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. They've already empowered millions of people, from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms. Let them empower you, too to make your dream a reality in the new year. You can head to squarespace.com myths for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code myths to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com myths, offer code myths. This week's episode is brought to you by Siren on Freeform. Have you seen this dark and sexy TV series on Freeform called Siren? It's about a powerful and alluring mermaid, Rin, who mysteriously comes to shore in a small town called Bristol Cove. She's no little mermaid. First episode, she straight up throws a man through a windshield to defend herself. And now, in this upcoming season, more mermaids have arrived. Is it for refuge or revenge? What are they looking for? Okay, so on this show, mermaids are incredible shapeshifters who can avoid detection. And when they're on shore, they take human form. However, they are still powerful predators on land or in sea. I can't wait for the show's return on freeform because it's so unpredictable and so action-packed. You haven't seen this on TV before, and you're going to want to check it out. It's truly a unique approach to the mermaid myth. Siren returns on Thursday, January 24th at 8 p.m. on Freeform. Don't miss it. All right, now back to the show. No one was really more surprised than Zeus when he heard the heralds that Hera had commandeered for her announcement. The gods gathered, and Hera proclaimed that her son had been lost now it was found. Hephaestus, the child that came completely from her, was going to take his place among the Olympians. Ten would become eleven. He was going to be the craftsman of the gods. Everyone looked on the utterly average-looking smith. Uh, 
okay, cool, they were gods, their only job was having fun and doing some occasional smiting. Also, just because they were a group of gods who lived on Mount Olympus didn't mean that they were part of a club now or something. Stop trying to make Olympians happen, Hera. It's not going to happen. As life returned to normal after the announcement, no one really cared, as Hera somehow found the real estate to set up a smithy with 20 bellows. No one really made a big deal out of it anyway, including Themis and Granami. Not wanting to crush the happiness of their child, Themis and Granami never told Hephaestus the truth about his mother. They never told him that his mother had abandoned him and tried to kill him because she saw no gain from his existence. That was a huge mistake. They should have warned him. Even if it meant crushing him, it would have kept him from getting swept up in the politics and glamour of Olympus. It would have saved him from the devastation of his marriage and from the manipulations of his mother, who would have saved his legs. Aphrodite never liked the way Zeus looked at her, but today, it was different. The king of the gods was almost giddy. Zeus knew his own limits, and though he relished Aphrodite standing there like an idiot, not knowing what was coming, he knew that he would ruin it if he was laughing too much. When she arrived on Olympus, Zeus gave her a sympathetic ear. True, she claimed that she had been born from the foam that bubbled around Zeus's grandfather Uranus's severed genitals as they bobbed in the sea, thus giving her as much of a right as anyone to be part of the ruling family. But it was only that, a claim. If she wanted to take her place at the head of the universe, she would need someone to vouch for her. After listening to her story, Zeus had come up with the perfect idea. He adopted her. Gratefully, she agreed, and it was done. Aphrodite had no idea what she gave up on that day. Zeus, being her quote-unquote father, gave her all the rights and powers of the other nine Olympians. But in that culture, it gave Zeus power too. Power that she didn't even realize until he exercised it. Power to decide who her spouse would be. Aphrodite blanched as she saw his face. Hephaestus, Hera's kid who she dragged from some cave. When Hera came to him with a demand, his first answer had been no, because Hera didn't get to demand anything of him. But he thought about it over his morning coffee, or I guess nectar of ambrosia, he didn't know much about Hephaestus other than the fact that the little smith could make a mean shield. And that he was ugly. Like, not overly ugly, but they were on Olympus. It was six-pack abs and perfect skin as far as the eye could see. And Hephaestus was average. Aphrodite could have any guy in the known universe. And she had rebuffed Zeus's advances for years. What could be better than making those beautiful Olympian marry the ugliest? Zeus could see that his master stroke had landed perfectly. Aphrodite was outraged and disgusted that Zeus would make her marry that. But Zeus shook his head. He was her father now, and her Olympian father could make these decisions. She screamed, furious, that she had trusted him. Zeus laughed heartily. Yeah, that was a rookie mistake. Then, the icing on the cake was the tears. He was barely of age, and holding it together better than most probably would but tears were welling up in Hephaestus' eyes. Zeus' belly laughed. Crushing Hera's little boy was just the cherry on the top of this whole affair. This, this was a good day. Zeus looked at Hera to soak up her anguish too, but she wasn't full of sorrow like her son. 
or raged like her new daughter-in-law. She was... grinning? Her grin spread from ear to ear, making Zeus uneasy. He didn't like this. Didn't like this one bit. Ah, oh, wah, 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 wah. So sleepy. Going to sleep now. Okay, I'm asleep. Maya looked down at her baby, little Hermes, who was absolutely asleep and not ridiculously smart for his age. She smiled. It had been horrible, but it had given her him. According to some sources, Zeus arrived in the dead of night and, quote, secretly begot Hermes on Maya, which, yes, leave it to Greek mythology to find yet another creative term for rape. Maya was a daughter of Atlas, the titan tasked with holding up the sky, so she knew the danger of crossing the Olympians. One in particular, the wife of the man who had fathered the child. It didn't matter that Maya was innocent. Many had been innocent before, but she still crushed them all. So Maya hid. She gave birth, alone in a cave kept the baby there, her little Hermes, away from those who sat on the mountain. It had been less than a week since she had given birth, so you might be able to forgive her for thinking that her baby couldn't deceive her into thinking he was asleep, wait until the new single parent passed out from exhaustion, and then flee the cave. Hermes stole past mom, wrapped a leaf around his body, and took off in the crisp morning air of the mountain. As he bounded down the mountain, he heard, up ahead, a mooing. With a grin, he went toward the sound. 20 minutes later, Apollo returned to his herd and dropped the sandwich he had left his cows for five minutes to go get. Ugh. Whoever stole his cows was going to get so arrowed in the everywhere. It was strange, though. There weren't any tracks from the cows leading anywhere. A great mass of humans had come, it seemed. But as soon as they reached the place where the cows had been grazing, both tracks disappeared. Apollo didn't know that, Apparently, baby Hermes had crafted four shoes per cow and put them all on backwards so that his trail away from the pastures looked like anything but. If you're wondering what an infant is going to do after committing grand theft cow, the answer was, obviously, gut a few of them and craft a new musical instrument. Days later, Apollo's search parties were waylaid by the most beautiful music they'd ever heard. As it turned out, Hermes had returned home he used the music from the lyre he had crafted from the cow stomach and the shell of a hapless turtle he had passed that morning. After a full show and two encores, the search party was about to leave to beat the traffic when they stopped. Wait, where did an infant find surplus cow gut to make a musical instrument? At this, Hermes' eyes widened. He stowed the instrument and kicked his mom, waking her up before he started to cry. The suspiciously well-rested Maya rose to her baby crying and a few dozen people in her cave, wanting her baby. The titan glared at them as they fled, straight to Apollo. They had found his cattle. Okay, but he put on a concert. I mean, he had a merch table. Come on, he's not a normal baby, Apollo pleaded with Maya. Maya pointed down to her son, sleeping swaddled in a blanket. She had just changed his diaper. He wasn't putting on concerts or stealing cows. Apollo looked down at the swaddling bands and sneered. He brought out two that looked exactly like the blanket. He caught up with two of the cows and found out why he couldn't track the rest. 
They had makeshift shoes tied to their feet, tied with a torn blanket. That blanket. Maya shook her head in disbelief. But Apollo had all the proof he needed to bring this before Zeus. In a flash, both Apollo and Hermes stood on Olympus. Maya would begin the climb, but by then, Zeus's judgment would be rendered. Hermes pursed his lips and shook out of his swaddling bands, giving Apollo a slow clap that he figured it out, and he had been outsmarted by a baby. Is that something he really wanted to bring before Zeus? Apollo scooped up the infant and brought him into Zeus's throne room. Zeus sighed and sat up when Apollo entered with the baby. He heard the case, but held up a hand at the mention of one name, Maya. Hermes cocked an eyebrow. Did Zeus know Maya? The king of the gods chuckled and stared off in the distance. Oh yeah, he knew Ma- Wait, how old was Hermes? Hermes pointed to the blankie in his hand, and the literal diaper he was wearing. Newborn. He was a newborn. Were Zeus's memories of his mother, I don't know, 41-ish weeks old? Zeus's eyes widened, and he glanced around for Hera. Good, she was out. Zeus looked back. He hated to see his kids fight like this. Hermes, give back the cows. Apollo, watch your cows better. We done here? Hermes raised a chubby baby hand. Uh, he would love to give back all the cows, but he killed two of them. No worries, though. He sacrificed them to the 12 gods on Olympus. Both Apollo and Zeus looked at the baby. 12 Olympians? There were only 11 Olympians. Hermes grinned and looked at both of them. Eh? Uh? Eh? Uh? Zeus sighed and threw up his hands. Sure, 12 Olympians. Now just get out of here before Hera sees you. Maybe Hermes proved to be quite a shrewd little guy. In the end, after Apollo saw the crafted lyre, and Hermes played him a song about how awesome Apollo was, he traded all of his remaining cows for the very musical instrument made from his prized animals. Then, one day, while out in the field with his new cattle, Hermes went on to craft a pipe out of reeds, which he traded to one of Apollo's old nurses for the augury. The ability to divine the future from the flight pattern of birds. Once the coast was clear, Zeus brought Hermes to Olympus, where he made the cunning young man his herald. Hermes said that he would never tell lies, but he couldn't really promise to always tell the truth. Zeus laughed. That wouldn't be expected of him. So Hermes agreed, and Zeus handed him three things. A round hat to protect him against the rain, winged golden sandals that he could use to fly through the air, and a golden staff. Hermes went on to be credited with assisting the fates in inventing the alphabet, and then, on his own, inventing astronomy, the musical scale, boxing, gymnastics, weights and measures, and the olive tree. It's true that he never lied to Zeus. But he also didn't tell him the truth when it came to the most dangerous thing the king of the gods would ever face. Well, except for the time when he was almost eaten by his dad. Oh, and the Titanomachy. And the gigantic Namaki. And the time he fought Typhon. Actually, the next scene barely cracks the top five. Poseidon looked down on his brother, Zeus, sleeping on the couch. Seriously, how heavy a sleeper was this guy? 
If that wouldn't wake him up, what would? I'll tell you what will, Harris said, taking a glass of wine and pouring it on Zeus's sleeping face. The king of the gods coughed and gagged as he gasped awake. What was all this about? He reached for his thunderbolts and then found that he couldn't reach for anything. Why in the world did none of us think of just tying him up? Poseidon asked. I mean, when he's not cheating on Hera, he's basically drinking and sleeping. Hera answered, patting her smiling son on his shoulders. It was because they didn't have the right craftsman before. 100 ropes, tied in 100 knots, bound Zeus to his couch. As soon as one became untied, it started tying itself again. Escape was impossible. Zeus looked around the room. Aphrodite was there, and she just shrugged, smiled, and motioned her head toward Hephaestus. Hermes said that he had never lied, so he wasn't in violation of his oath. The Olympians were tired of living under a vicious authoritarian. Hermes sighed. Now that the ropes were in place, there was nothing anyone could do. Zeus's first clue that this might happen should have been that he had to threaten physical violence with a thunderbolt anytime he wanted to get something done. Hermes hadn't written the book on management, but that seemed like a bad way to delegate. Hermes glared, but he didn't repent. He didn't bargain or apologize, saying only that when he got out of these ropes, he would punish each and every god that conspired against him. The Olympians heard this threat from the most powerful being in the universe, and they laughed. Poseidon tussled his little brother's hair as the Olympians left him alone in the dark. As it turns out, each of the Olympians were tired of living under a vicious authoritarian. That wasn't them. They didn't have a problem with violent oppression if they were the ones doing the oppressing. Things began to devolve into chaos as the group searched for the next leader. Poseidon made his case. He was the oldest male child of Cronus present. I mean, Hades almost never left the underworld and didn't take part in the coup. Demeter and Hera scoffed. Not only was Hera older than Poseidon, but she was queen of the gods. By inheritance, eloquence, or violence, all the Olympians made their case for the reason that they should sit on the throne. Soon, the arguments turned to threats, and hands went to weapons. They were so caught up with who would take the throne that no one noticed Thetis, a Nereid, steal out of Olympus and head down to Earth, and then even lower. She was going to Tartarus. She was going to speak with the Hundred-Handers. The Hundred-Handers outcast unaccepted by the Olympians and so named creatures after their, well, hundred hands each, were eternally grateful and loyal to Zeus. Not only had he freed them in the war, but he hadn't sent them back to the underworld. Instead, he had made them guards of their own former oppressors. So when Thetis found them and explained what happened to their savior, Zeus, they agreed and started the long trek above ground. They heard the rumble as it was about to come to blows in the throne room. Hera shook her head. It was nothing, just a lightning storm in the distance. Wait. The first bolt crashed down in the center of the group. Zeus stood panting next to Briarius. The hundred hander who had freed him by untying all 100 knots at once. No one tried to fight. Everyone ran or pleaded. Those that pleaded weren't struck. Hera just glared at Zeus standing there in all of his glory with his thunderbolts. She wouldn't give him the pleasure of begging for her life. She was his queen. Hephaestus saw Zeus making strides toward his mother and stepped in the way. Zeus didn't stop. He simply went over, gripped Hephaestus by the neck, 
and threw him in the air like a rag doll. Neither Zeus nor Hera looked. Neither of them cared that, this time, Hephaestus wouldn't land in the ocean, but on the rocks, that it would be days before anyone found him, and, by that time, the damage to his legs would be permanent, that his first act after he was carried back to Olympus would be to craft golden crutches so he could walk again. Hera looked the fuming Zeus in the eyes. What was he going to do? She was his queen. He couldn't kill her. He would do what he always did. Bark in impotent rage and then go take it out on someone else. Except that Hera had never gone this far before. By the end of the day, she was strung up overhanging the abyss that was the edge of Olympus. The hundred-hander having raided her son's smithy and taken the chains and two anvils. All the Olympians thought it was a despicable thing as they listened to Hera's cries, the two anvils tied to her ankles. They hated Zeus, but they didn't dare speak up, lest they be next. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll be wrapping up our current run of the Greek myth episodes with the prelude to the Trojan War. Also, I should mention that, as always, there are many different versions of these tales. So check out the post on mythpodcast.com to see some of the major divergences for today's episode. And real quickly, I want to mention that we have an online shop where you can get awesome t-shirts, stickers, and more, all while helping to support the show. For the shop, head on over to shop.bardic.fm. And, as always, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of two 2010 New Year's glasses, you know, those glasses where your eyes look at the zeros, you can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that aren't already nine years out of date. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Kanko, from Japan. The Kanko apparently means pipe fox, because, well, it's a tiny fox that's small enough to hang out in a bamboo pipe. If you like gossip stealing from friends and family, and dozens and dozens of tiny freeloading foxes, then the pipe fox is perfect for you. There's no indication or history as to why the pipe fox is like one one thousandth the size of a normal fox, but you'll learn that it really wants to help you accomplish your goals of spying on your neighbors and pretending like you can see the future. The pipe fox can speak human languages, and the first time it'll just pop up on your shoulder and offer up some tantalizing gossip. You might shoo it away, but as you can probably imagine, it's difficult to keep an inch-tall fox out of your house. Eventually, it'll wear you down to the point where you just accept it. Sure, how much work could it be to let a tiny fox live in your house? Not much, if there's only one fox. The problem? There's not just one fox. With a place to live, the fox will invite its little fox spouse. And, seeing as they have a stable job and roof over their tiny heads, they'll get started on their family. Now, the foxes know their limit, and that limit is exactly 73 children. You'll notice two things happen next. The first is that you'll get very rich, because the pipe fox, like the butter cat, not only has ears everywhere, but steals from your friends and neighbors, so you'll notice a lot more stuff around your house. The second thing that you'll notice is, subsequently, fewer things around your house, because, as you can probably imagine, 73 children are not cheap. They'll eat away at everything you own, and then everything you don't own, until you're left worse off than you started. The moral? Don't trust tiny foxes who want to give you dirt on your friends and neighbors, no matter how juicy the gossip. 
That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is created by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and our Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.